Thanks for tuning in to the Food Connected Podcast. My name is Lonnie Sweet. Today we're going to be talking to Peter Flesvig, the general manager of culinary over at Intersport, about why a 30-year-old sports agency decided to get into the culinary space, their role with the James Beer Foundation, and how he sees the industry as a whole. So thanks for listening in and hope you enjoy. My background really has uh, historically been in consumer packaged goods sales. I was uh, I grew up um, very uh, proudly within the family of uh, PepsiCo, working at some of the warehouse brands, and got some firsthand experience from a broad commercialized perspective on how to actually engage with consumers and get that real life feel. Are they willing to pull product from shelf? Are they willing to take that home and become a loyalist with that prod- uh, product? Uh, likewise, within that experience, I had a lot of time spent working with uh, with different retail partners and working with them in ways where they were looking to build partnerships. They wanted to build partnership with brands so they could affect more change or they could affect greater sales with uh, with consumers that were coming into that. So through that, uh, you know, almost two decades worth of experience a lot of uh, what I started to kind of feel a, a real passion for and a real interest in was something that a big environment like PepsiCo uh, often was working towards, but, you know, as a large organization, wasn't able to do quite as nimbly as uh, I thought, you know, some of our partners needed, which was right. coming up with ways to be really nimble and interact with those retailers or consumers in a real kind of in an expedited way that was allowing them to, you know, get a maximum value out of as a retailer as well as us out of a brand. You're saying that, so that you're saying Pepsi to, didn't have speed on their side is what you're saying. I'm, I'm saying uh, <laughs> Pepsi has loads of speed on their side better than all of their competitors. Right. But uh, the, uh, the opportunity to, uh, to kind of do that from a marketing and collaboration side was, was something I was certainly uh, recognizing and yearning for. And, uh, and, you know, an, an opportunity with uh, our president uh, at Intersport came about about two and a half years ago. Um, and he was telling me about what they were doing. And, you know, this mindset of a, a 33-year-old entrepreneurial startup that was all about, uh, you know, putting investments in areas that consumers were interested around and all this, you know, kind of passion for what we were doing and talking to consumers. And I was hooked from day one and, and have been there since. That's pretty awesome. And so now, um, I mean, again, even just a little bit more background on Intersport. Obviously, like you said, you've been around for 33 years. Um, the website, you can find kind of a, a ton of information. But you guys are a production, sponsorship, experiential, hospitality, content marketing company. Can you give a little bit more background on, on the power of Intersport? Because you really are an amazing agency. You're still independently owned. Right, you're not one of the big boys, but you have all of these assets and all of these amazing people internally. And because you are private, the, what struck me, at least you know, sitting down and talking with you guys, is the the ability to be nimble and take um, take risks that are um, potentially quantifiable down the line, but are, are really about experimenting. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... Uh, that's really well said. We're, we're an organization of about 170 and we operate like we're a startup of 10. Uh, so the, the fundamentals of the organization, we started it, we started and continue to be a mix of a marketing and media company, both sides of it. We will, uh, put on events. We'll work with brands and consult with them. We'll give them a voice, uh, in the marketplace that is differentiated, that is about what is right for them to do, not what is it that we are selling and really be consultative within that process. Uh, for the 33 years that we've been around, 
our approach has been uh, working with brands to create exciting engagement platforms for fans across all areas of interest. Our fundamental approach is instead of talking to a consumer, why don't you join the conversation and what they're passionate about and engage in that passion point and allow that to be a way for the consumer to build affinity with you, the brand. So it takes a little bit of uh maybe we'll call it we're Chicago based agency, a little of, you know, Midwest uh, humility or, or modesty. Uh, but uh, you know, a little of that approach and being empathetic and then having a, a truly entrepreneurial uh, mindset at heart. And, and with that, it, it creates a, a real opportunity. And frankly, with a, a name like Intersport, it's easy to know that our start, our, you know, the center of gravity was in sports with things like college basketball and events like the College Slam and Three Point Championship, which has been going on for, uh, you know, nearly three decades at this point, now three on three U championships, which happens um, on that, that big college basketball weekend in March. But it's also been high school football and college basketball and broadcast programming and content from, you know, 15 second short videos all the way to feature length films. Uh, and through all of those, a focus on hospitality as we have, we're filling stadiums, we're putting on events, we're creating events that fans want to come to. Hospitality was a really important that. And for, you know, the world that you and I are in, that natural evolution of hospitality into the world of culinary uh, is what gave birth to a culinary focus for Intersport about 10 years ago, where we're putting on these great live events to be able to entertain fans and all of the space between when the sports were taking place. And that's really kind of what has queued up the practice for Intersport to leverage all of those marketing capabilities as well as media capabilities in the world of culinary to engage fans from that passion point perspective in a really exciting way. Yeah, it's, it, it's you know, when I have this conversation with people from, from sports backgrounds, and, and we talked about this the other day, is that what's always struck me is the similarities from an emotional perspective um, that culinary shares with sports, right? Those moments as kids uh, that that just are memories ingrained in your brain. I think I told you when I was a kid, you know, seeing the green grass of the field at Fenway Park, it just evokes emotions the same way that a smell yeah. of food would evoke emotion with my mom. And I think as you're starting to talk to brands, or at least I am, and I'd be curious about your perspective as well, trying to figure out how to engage with a, a consumer from, from a brand perspective and trying to tap into that emotional center point is really critical. And with social media and um, you know the fragmentation of kind of media and being able to um, grab content from all over the place, uh, it's really challenging. I mean, it's really hard for brands these yeah. days to filter through all the bullshit and be able to not only reach an end consumer, which is fairly easy to do in a very, you know, a myriad of different ways, but reach a consumer that, that is emotional and that is engaging and that somehow is going to attach their brand to a memory. Um, and I yeah. think that's always yeah. what, for me, food and sports has been able to do is that center point. Um, and so I'd be, I'd be just, again, I think that's, for me, I'd be curious about how you guys see that when you talk to brands how that comes into play as well. Yeah, well, I, I think you you hit it right when you talked about that fragmentation. It's that there's no surprise or that, you know, everybody is aware of kind of this fragmentation within media. And by the way, the attention span of watching media and moving to a mobile device or a second screen or all of those other factors 
that come into play with consumers now. If you if we talk about you know before getting somebody to sit down and watch uh, an hour length uh, television broadcast from start to finish, now you're talking about second screens and even within sporting events, are they you know going online or following fantasy teams or whatever that is? So the, it is so critical now in the world that we live to engage consumers early and be able to to find a really poignant way for them to quickly recognize interest and authenticity and storytelling and something that's going to make them feel like they're getting something out of it and then be able to draw that parallel. It's pretty complex. It's, it's, it's hard to reach that audience. Um, and, and, and it's hard to be able to engage with them. But I think, you know, to your point and to your comment about you know, the field and, and smelling the grass and walking in the stadium or the crack of the ball on the bat, um, to, to me, the, the greatest part of the job of working in the world of culinary is it is truly one of the very few areas where it is all of the senses come to life. And as a marketer, you're able to t- tap into that. You know, you know, maybe baseball for me, it's, you know, Wrigley Field, uh, Wrigley Field guy. So I remember third grade going third baseline, 20 rows back. And, you know, you get the ice cream and that upside down Cubs hat and, you get the hot dog and you have that experience and you smell the grass and you're listening to the stadium and the roar of the crowd. And it's all of those things that will, you know, between that and Harry Carey in the seventh inning, it's all of those things that are it's sticking visceral. With but yeah. what, it is. And it's, it's the sights, it's the sounds, it is the taste. And that's the, that's what culinary brings that I think other areas of marketing, uh, you know, struggle to really take advantage of those taste memories. I think, you know, Every single person, I say this to, to anybody engaged, so many people talk about that they're, you know, I'm not a foodie. I'm not into, the, you know, the fancy food or this and that. But every person, bar none, has a memory as a kid of, you know, if it's something terrible when it was, you know, your, your mom made you liver for dinner, but you could remember that, you know, minerally iron taste or you remember grandma's chicken noodle soup. Everybody has that memory locked in their brain. And the fact that it's locked in your brain, that's what we're, that's what you and I are, are doing on a day to day basis is how do we continue to leverage that moment to be able to express a message to somebody and be able to engage them? And that's super exciting. And it's, it's something that, you know, it's something that's a part of my life. It's something that's part of your life and consumers' life. And I love being a part of that. Yeah, you had just touched upon something, um, you know, the idea that, you know, uh, the word foodie, right? We, we, you know, I'm calling this podcast Food Connected because I, I personally believe that that word has evolved. What, what does foodie mean to you? And what do you think it means to, you know, the greater kind of community of brands, of marketers? Like, what, what is foodie now? Yeah, so um, I think it's a great question. And I think uh, you're, you're, uh, ahead of the uh, curve in terms of calling it food connected, because I think foodie has a connotation to it of, you know, m- more white cloth dining, more, uh, more, you, you know, willing to go out and, and spend the, the week's check on one meal and, you know, take some pictures of it and post it on Instagram, all of which would still apply, you know, but for me, I think foodie is, is different from that. When people are like, Oh, I'm not a foodie. I only like cheeseburgers. Those people are as passionate about cheeseburgers or whatever that thing is, fill in the blank. And that, to me, is what the definition of a foodie is and reframing that or, you know, more appropriate food connected, as, as you put it, because all of those people, they care. They're not indifferent. 
and that's the the having right. having a viral react you know a visceral reaction that says I don't like this is as important as having a reaction that says you do. Um, it's just if you're indifferent, you're not in that kind of foodie or food connected world, and and that's where it's great because you once you can get people to reframe that conversation to understand that it's inclusive of uh, an emotion about food. Now you've opened up an entirely new audience to the, to, to this whole conversation. Yeah, I used to. I, I know you walk to work or, or you had a, shoot, a short commute to work, but I, I take about a 45-minute train ride into into New York City from New Jersey. When I first started getting into this culinary world, I, I started listening to conversations, not, not for the details of conversations, but kind of what people were talking about, right? And I always found it really amazing that, on any given day, the vast majority of people are talking only about a handful of things, right? They're talking about their family, you know, kind of the, the personal relationship. And when people start to have conversations about other things, meaning if they're not talking about their family or their kids or something that happened that weekend, but even if they are, they're generally talking about food in some way or sports in some way, right? So, hey, what restaurant did you go to this weekend? Or I'm traveling on the road to Chicago. What are some of the best places to eat at? Or I went to this great butcher and they've got the best, you know, ribeye that there is. And it really struck me how much food was intertwined into people's lives. And I think, again, to your point, we use the word foodie for a really long time to appropriate a person that is a quote-unquote gourmand, someone that's an expert. But the reality is, I would say most of us, if not all of us, are food connected in some way. And to your point, even if you're not and you, you're you know telling people that I'm not food connected or I'm not a foodie and I don't like food or I'm only eating you know ramen noodles or whatever it may be, in some ways, that makes you just as food connected as somebody that's saying, I'm only going to the best ramen places in New York City or Chicago or whatever it may be. And I, I always think that the challenge is, and I know we talked about this as well, is that if everybody is food connected in somehow, right, some way, right, the challenge is how fragmented everybody is. So I always yep, use the yep. I always use the example of if you're in sports and I talked to Jeff Fernandez you know, in a previous podcast about the New York Jets, you know, he's talking to 80,000 people at a stadium or a couple million people listening to the game. And he can go out and talk to brands in a mechanism that allows him to create scale on his own platform, right? His scale is yep. the stadium. His scale is the airwaves that are listening to Jet games. And everybody's kind of coming together around a common, a common kind of love or passion. I think the challenge in our space, and I'd be curious about your opinion, and I want to talk a little bit about the James Beard Foundation and your role there, is you know, we are so fragmented that our business, for better or worse, is based on two tops and four tops and family dinners. And so, listen, you've, yep. got, you've got the Food Network and you've got you know, all, the, all the TV shows. Those are lumped in as media, right? I think a media buyer is looking at yep. it in some ways and saying, listen, we're talking about eyeballs and it's affinities and passion points. I think when we talk to brands, or at least on my side, we kind of bucket media off to one side and then talk about the activations and how you're reaching other people. And part of the challenge right. of our business, which I don't think has been solved for yet, and I think they're starting to make some progress on this, how do you take something that is inherently intimate, inherently intimate, which is a two-person dinner or a four-person dinner, or maybe if you're going out with a group of people, 20 people, how do you take that, that intimate experience and make it scaled? 
So you can go to a yep. brand, you, know, you guys represent American Airlines, so you can go to American Airlines and say, we've got a platform that's going to reach uh, you know, a lot of people across the board, but at the same time still keep it intimate and still keep it you know, um, to the point that you're getting the value of what culinary is. And so, again, yep. we talked about it the other day, and you guys did some really great stuff with content and media, and I would just, again, love to get your perspective on that as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard. I think the uh, the first answer is for uh, for any of those brands to to pick up the phone and, and have a conversation with uh, with you or I. So that's a good first step. Yeah. Uh, but once we get <laughs> once plug, we get past way. that one, really, really good plug. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, once we get past that first one, you know, for us, I think it's um it, it's it has to be engaging, it has to be relevant, and it has to be accessible. And I think it has to be. You know, something that I stand by in every single thing that we do and everybody we work with, it has to be authentic. I think when you talk about the media side of things, um, I, I love, I, you know, I have, I have kids at home and on the weekend or, or at night, you know, I love turning on some of those shows. They're consistent. They're, you know, they're kind of brand safe to, to my family. Uh, you know, you could turn them on and they're easy watching and they're that consistency. And I can see the media value uh, as eight, people eight participate in those. Right? 8 to 80. You can right, be an 8-year-old exactly. or an 80-year-old. And it's, it's, you can all sit down and watch it together, which is amazing. And and it's great. But if you're a brand who's looking to cut through and, and have a voice that's ownable, 8 to 80 is uh, a little more – it's a little more difficult yes. to be able to – to be able to do what you're looking to achieve. So, you know, I see it as, as, uh, you know, a couple different ways that are, uh, that are, are, you know, appropriate for the mindset. First, you're absolutely right about that two tops and four tops mentality. They, uh, you know, from, uh, from the perspective of, of some of those in the industry and some restaurateurs that I've talked to is, you know, their job is not to, uh, is not to, you know, just serve two tops and four tops. Their top, their job is to welcome you into their home, which is their restaurant, and extend that feeling of hospitality to those that come in the door so that they feel like they're greeted from the minute they walk in the door to the host stand, to they sit down, to the service, to who's refilling their water, to, you know, what's coming out, how the menu is being described, the treatment, the ambiance of the room, the decor, all of those elements together kind of build and define that moment of hospitality that takes you back to you know, sit in third base at Wrigley Field in a sports environment that creates something memorable when you go to your friends and you talk about and you're sitting and you're riding the train into into downtown. You're talking about all of those different elements that made this restaurant an unforgettable experience that anybody else should go back to. So I think if it's grounded in hospitality, uh, in that notion of what the hospitality is about and why it's a central part of this, that's the first part. I think second, then you get into kind of what are the what are the vehicles uh, you know, kind of the, the themes to be able to, to host that uh, conversation. First is chefs, uh, a environment that you know well. Um, so many different chefs and so many different personalities out there. And these are, these are people that for, I think, a, lot, a long period of time and really kind of now coming into kind of a golden age of it, they were individuals who they served a functional role. They were, you know, they would teach you how to cook things. And, you know, for us and the way that, you know, I go about our business is I, I appreciate that they cook things, but that is, you know, to f forgive the pun, table six, it's more about who, what are their personalities? What makes them unique individual personalities? It, uh, you know, what separates them from others that allows you to kind of embody a story to, to be able to, to, you know, tell like what's, what's their brand persona 
that you're able to tap into as a brand. And it's really important to know how your brand persona matches up with those chef personalities. So that for us is the first one. Uh, the second side of it is, you know, organizationally, we at Intersport have uh, the very good uh, fortune and pleasure to work with the James Beard Foundation. Uh, James Beard Foundation has been around uh, nearly the same amount of time that Intersport has and has been doing great things within the food world to kind of champion for uh, for causes around uh, the industry and really kind of make uh, make that culinary world more approachable for everybody. And because they as an organization are national in scope and they as an organization are speaking for uh, the entire industry, uh, we have partnered with them to help amplify their story and in return be able to help um, brands find ways to be able to authentically engage there. So from that continuity perspective, an organization like James Beard Foundation has been uh, has been a partner of ours that we have worked with to be able to help brands tell that continuity story. But again, I think it, it, the important thing for a brand coming into the conversation, if they're interested in the space, is that element of you know authentic hospitality. When you when you engage with that organization, do you feel like it's genuine? Do you feel like it's resonant and personal? And do you feel like there is a unique story to tell with it? If you're able to find that, I think that's the key unlock within the world of culinary. So it's such an interesting point, right? Because for so long, and you know this as well as I do in sports, you know, the idea, and I'll take Fenway Park for a minute, right? For so long, the left field green monster was green, right? For so long. Yep. And now it's obviously not just green, it's embroiled with logos, right? So sports has done a really good job of figuring out authentic ways and sometimes non-authentic and they use, you know, again, a, a golfer's got a patch on their sleeve, not because it's authentic, but because it's a advertising platform. He's a walking billboard or she's a walking billboard, right? In a lot of ways, yep. Yep. You know, the same thing at a Fenway Park or the same thing at Wrigley or whatever it may be. I'm really curious, and, and we went to a great dinner, you know, at Steph Eisner's place, you know, Girl on the Go in Chicago. <laughs> you know, I constantly think that there there is scale, and they are at restaurants, and I think what your point about authentic hospitality is really intriguing. If we're going to grow, you, you, I get, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to ask this question because I'm not really sure I want to know the answer because uh, I'm scared, <laughs> a little bit scared of the answer, uh, both because I think I could push the boundaries here really far and, and maybe it's not the right thing to do. You think there's a you think there's a role for brands inside a restaurant like again we went to dinner the other night and and listen Steph does a, an amazing job at all the restaurants I think Girl on the Go is one of those places that it has just a really comfortable homey embracing feeling right she's created an environment there that's yeah. really awesome if we sat down to that dinner and there was a brand positioning somehow. Right? Would you be okay with? I don't mean I don't mean a Mastercard logo or a Visa logo on the check card, but if there was some, or is there a way to integrate brands into a restaurant that actually allows you to stay authentic and hospi uh, hospitable, but still gives the brand a position to, to garner some attention? Yeah, I think it is a. I think it's the the million dollar question within this world of uh, culinary marketing. I think there's. There have been uh, some examples uh, of brands who have kind of injected themselves into uh, restaurant environments, uh, even within even within the Chicago dining scene, where you have brands that have kind of uh, created uh, what's closer to gimmicks 
and it has actually kind of had an adversarial effect with right. consumers that have kind of felt off put. They've walked into a trusted space and then been faced with a gimmick, a little bit of a bait and switch. Uh, death to brand in that environment and certainly not good for the restaurant who has essentially, uh, essentially bribed out some of their goodwill and that hospitality that they've established with their consumers uh, and with their community to be able to do that. I think there is a space for it, but I think that the, the, the lazy response is kind of the, you know, to, to turn, uh, to turn the culinary world or a restaurant into the NASCAR of, you know, mm -hmm. the space and patches on and, and whatever else. I think that there is a way within endemics that I think is, uh, is fairly natural. Um, that is maybe limited in terms of what are they using in the kitchen? How are they able to collaborate better with brands? How are those brands able to feature what's going on behind the scenes and actually bring it out, presentation on the table to elevate the experience overall? I think within some of those endemic brands, if it's, you know, within cutlery or cooking or, or utensils right, or right, right. areas like that, that's, that's, the, that's the softball. Right? I think that's spirits the, and food. The, yeah, I would agree with you. I think you could do that from a spirits perspective or a beer perspective. There's a, there's a whole bunch of bylaws that don't, you know, blue laws, I should say, that don't allow for that. I, I, I can totally yeah. see that. I guess I'm asking on your table somehow or when you walk in, right? Like, again, my brain goes to like, you know, super easy things that I think are cool and non-intrusive, like a place to put your phone that can charge at the same time. And maybe there's yeah. some type of brand integration in there. But like, yeah. I, again, I, and, and again, my brain always goes to the sales side and how do you integrate brands into it? And I've, I've thought a lot about this, right? I'm just curious as other people's perspectives. Take out the endemics. Take yeah. out your cutlery, your booze, your Grey Gooses, your whoever it may be, your beers. Yeah, I would even push aside some of the food products that may be, that could creep onto a menu without you even knowing it. What about the yeah. other kind of, again, let's take Fortune 20 brands, right? Your top 20 advertisers yeah. in space. Is there a way to integrate them into a restaurant environment in an authentic way that's not gonna be off-putting? And do we think yeah, we're going there? Uh, I mean, listen, I think there is a way, but do you think we're actually going to go there? I don't think we're going to – I don't think the scale is going to be such that brands are going to go there. I think that I think that it is harder. I think that it is um, a higher quality engagement if you're able to find the right way to do it. But I think the scale in which it takes is, you know, for, for brands, they have to be really willing to uh, invest and doing that carefully. And as you and I know, I think that, um, you know, one of the, one of the struggles with brands as they in, you know, endeavor on marketing campaigns in the culinary world or not, uh, to be able to be judicious or responsible in the amount of brand forward branding throughout, you know, to, to how many logo slaps and brand mentions and right. names and how much of our brand language from the CMO down, can we get into uh, 30 seconds worth of conversation uh, tends to be on the more aggressive side. And I think in order to be successful in this space, it has to be kind of a, there has to be a little bit of empathy for, from the brand's perspective on what the consumer is going through and trust in order to kind of find that magic spot where consumers say this brand is adding value to what I am yeah. doing here yeah, in this dinner. It. Right. I was, and I was just about to can... say that. I think that's the key is how do you as a brand look to add to the experience and improve the experience for not only the, the customer, the diner, 
but also the restaurant, right? Because I think a lot of these restaurateurs, <clears throat> you know, creatively are chefs. If they're the chef owner, right, they're very careful about what's happening in the restaurant. But if you can figure out a way to improve <clears throat> the experience, yep. I think that's a win for everybody. It's hard. It's a hard challenge to figure out. I mean, again, it does, by the way, I'm not saying it actually has to happen at the restaurant either, right? Because we think about yeah. our, our world, you got to get to the restaurant somehow, right? So it opens up the yep. door for, you know, for auto. And I know you guys have worked with Buick for a long time. You know, are you doing ride and drives on the way to the restaurant? What happens inside that car? You know, is there a water brand or is there a snack brand or is there a foot warmer brand or whatever it may be? I, I do think the challenge, and I hope that I know you do it and, and, you know, a lot of other people that we work with in the brands. It's like challenging, you know, the status quo of, okay, I know this is an off, an off-limit space, or at least in your mind it's an off-limit brand space, but let's figure out a way to improve the experience so that it doesn't come yeah. across as forced, so it does come across as authentic and it is improving the experience. And I, listen, I hope we get there. I hope it doesn't go – there's going to be some – people I think that are taking it way too far, which is okay, because yeah. for me it's a test and you kind of realize what not to do so you can dial it back to get to that sweet spot. Yeah, well, I, I would I would say, you know, I think if, uh, if the thought process is really centered in that hospitality and if that hospitality is, how do you, how do you as a brand facilitate these people being, you know, coming and having experience and engaging with the restaurant and engaging with their friends and dwelling and kind of immersing themselves in that space, which is a positive to the restaurant, right? Like let's, let's either, you know, turntables or whatnot, but get people to have a great time at a restaurant is, is certainly going to help the restaurant's performance. If you're one of those brands, you know, I look at an example like myself, I'm a, a blessed father of, of two young kids, both under three and a half, the things that matter most. And I, and I, and I, have culinary on the business card and the things that my wife and I think about uh, the most is, okay, we got to figure out childcare. We got to figure out the logistics. We have two and a half hours at the restaurant. Uh, we got to make sure that we get home in a reasonable time. We're probably going to have to check with them, in with them. So if it's a nice restaurant, we're hesitant right. to pull the phones out. Like that to me is all opportunities. Those Agreed. are all things that make me care that make my evening better and I can have a better date night with my wife that all sit as opportunities for brands to become a really integral and additive part of that experience, but they don't have to be the experience. And, but I leave and I'm like, I appreciate that brand because maybe they helped, uh, they helped secure the Uber ride for me for one night or they right. help, you know, they, they helped uh, cover childcare or coordinate that, mm. or they had complimentary, you know, who knows, like whatever it is, FaceTime, but back to home to the babysitter to check in during dinner as a courtesy or whatever the crazy thoughts are. Those are the things for me that I say that that brand gets me and that brand gets that I want to go to dinner as much as I want to make sure my kids are taken care of. That gets me on that hook. And that is the wonderful you know, part of this environment and in the culinary world to be able to engage consumers that doesn't exist everywhere. So if to be able to tap into that and then be able to add that sensory element, that's, it's, it's a hard question to answer, but I think that's what makes it great is those brands that are able to invest the patients and kind of that, like I said, empathy around that are the ones that are going to win in spades. I, w I would love to do, you know, a, a, a brainstorm session, you know, at a university or whoever it may be with like 20 or 30 people 
like from totally different backgrounds and totally different mind perspectives to help answer this question, I think it's a really interesting and exciting question because all those things you brought up are absolutely right. Not everybody's got two kids under three though, and so there's other people that have different perspectives of things that can help. Yep. That that would help their experience be better, right? Your te- your kids are teenagers, or you know you're going out on a first date, or you know you're a senior citizen, or whatever. I think it's a, it's a really interesting, exciting question, right? It's I think it's one of those you know you give to a couple of creative directors and their teams, and you do some really cool case studies and figure out you know some really awesome options because I think there's some ways to do it. I just don't think we figured it out yet. I think we have a, a collegiate road tour in our future. <laughs> Somehow with my wife and your wife, I'm not sure they're going to be happy with that. It's, it's, very, it's very hard to justify that at some point. <laughs> Love so, it. so listen, we, we've, been, we've been on here for 35 minutes, and I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I guess the, the question I have for you is, a, you know, again, you guys are a leader in, in the sports space and now the culinary space and entertainment, and you do a lot. First off, what, what's next for you guys in the culinary world from an intersport inter- perspective, and then what else do you think is next in our industry as a whole? Like, where are we going in the six months, twelve months, five years from now? Yeah, um, great question. So, for us, um, we're really, you know, we're looking at finding, continuing to build on this idea of how to better authentically engage with consumers. I think there are, uh, you know, there are thousands of food festivals that happen uh, across the country. The opportunity to actually engage consumers and have a meaningful interaction with them in a market that is becoming increasingly saturated, I think is a really interesting challenge to uh, to solve for. How do you not only kind of, you know, same thing, create the logo on the event, but similar to our restaurant conversation, create something that actually engages with consumers in the right way and then be able to effectively be able to amplify that and find that right marketing mix to, to activate it and amplify it so you get credit for it, not only for the, you know, 2,000 in attendance, but the 20 million that might engage with it online. So that, that's something that I'm thinking about on a regular basis uh, on how we can um, continue to evolve within that space and be innovative, uh, not just to be a brand at a, at a place, but be able to be meaningful and kind of raise the overall stakes of, of uh, that uh, that kind of uh, those events and in, in the organization. Um, to your second question on where uh, where the space is evolving and and how I see uh, kind of the the space continuing to evolve, I actually feel like the the confluence of um, the restaurant scene and you know just a a, a incredible uh, burden uh, required to be a success uh, and the uh, the rise continued rise of social media and Instagram and, you know, places like the Wonder Museum in Chicago where it's, you know, just, just designer. I think uh, I saw something recently on the 15 bars in Chicago that are, you know, that have, that have thrown up Christmas. So you could go and take your 15 selfies uh, <laughs> right. at that bar. Uh, the, the continued rise of that, I think, uh, is giving, uh, is creating a really interesting platform for kind of more pop-up dining. How do you create a more exclusive, more hospitable, more, uh, you know, kind of social media worthy, but kind of, oh, I'm in the know, that kind of uh, culinary intellectual property and clout uh, that I think is uh, both, it still kind of taps into an approachable audience, but it's now giving rise instead of to that 8 to 80 range, it's giving rise to those people who are 
enthusiasts and are following and are following the right people on social media or in their opinion, right media, you know, to be able to get ahead and find that one dinner that's going to be a pop up in the next few places and, and go and experience that. I think that's going to be something that will continue to develop as social media continues to really be, uh, you know, the, the shouting voice for culinary uh, and easiest way for people to, to get involved. I also think uh, from our perspective, this trend of storytelling about the personalities as opposed to just about what they're cooking. I think the way of uh, 60 second uh, cooking videos, I'm um, kind of create a recipe in 60 seconds over time lapse has kind of sunset itself. The, the tasty videos. The rise, yeah. yeah the, the rise of storytelling about these artists, which is really what these, these, you know, these chefs are uh, and restaurateurs, they are creating theaters and they are creating art, uh, and at different levels and different ways, uh, much, much like the, the rest of the traditional art world is. So I think the rise of storytelling around those individuals is really kind of, we're, we're on a, a really unique, uh, kind of flashpoint for that to continue to continue to expand and, and become those next stories that everybody's interested in. And I think no example is better than that right now than Jose and Drace. I mean, Jose Andres is nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, it's amazing. That, that is, you know, just, just think about that for a minute. He's not just a chef. And, and to be able to, uh, to be able to have him kind of representing more than what, you know, he went into this, I'm sure, or, you know, representing, but to be able to say, this is a chef that used their platform of hospitality to be able to help change the world to the degree of being, you know, viewed as and honored as a Nobel Peace mm-hmm. Prize. That to me is the, the a greatest example of that storytelling that we could possibly have. Yeah, I, I would I would totally agree with you, man. I think it's uh, we're living in a very interesting time right now. That you know, as we talked about, I think the biggest thing for all of us to continue to do and, and listen. The reason why I created this podcast, the sole reason I'm creating this this Food Connected podcast, is to um, deepen the conversation to hopefully get more people to talk about this, to hopefully get more people to understand what the power of culinary means, what the power of being food connected is, you know, to realize that a chef is not just the guy cooking your meal, to your point, that they are storytellers, that they are remarkable human beings. And then sometimes they've got flaws, and that's part of the beauty of it, right? Part of the beauty is that they are, and, and I'm not sure, you know, they are approachable, right? An athlete or a musician, yep. they are not, they're, they're not really attainable people, right? They're, you know, there's only yeah. one LeBron James and there's only one you know, Mike Singletary or there's only one Tom Brady, right? You, you can't throw a football, but it's never going to be remotely in the same realm of that. You know, Mark Forgio right. comes out with a cookbook. You might feel like you can make a chili lobster, right? You may feel Absolutely. like you can make a dish like Bobby Flay. And when you meet him or you talk to him or you think about him, it feels more relatable and attainable, right? And I think all, yeah. there's so many yep. confluences, you know, that allow – you know, chefs to be really great mouthpieces for brands, for events, um, but really just the the idea of food as a whole, right? Um, Jose, it, Jose Andres is, it's not just about him, right? It's about what he's doing through the power of food and, and providing people with one of those staples to be alive and to be a human being um, and to not take that dignity away from them. A hot meal, I think what he always says, is one of those remarkable gifts that everybody should be able to experience. And, and listen, he's he's doing things that are so remarkable around around the world that uh, I hope he wins it. I really hope he wins the Nobel Peace Prize because uh, he deserves it. He really does. Yep. Yep. Uh, 
absolutely. Well, I'm uh, I am uh, super excited that there are uh, at least two of us uh, championing <laughs> for this cause in this space. And uh, and like I said, I'm I'm so passionate about it, and I think that it's it's such a great place from a personal perspective, from a professional perspective, from a branding perspective. Uh, there, there's so much conversation to be had that's still untapped and unmined yeah. that it's a really exciting time to be able to get to work in it. 